And there's always two altars. I put two altars on the platform today. One to the altar of our God. Could somebody give him praise? The other altar is to the altar of Baal. I found this uh, in Children's Church somewhere. I look for something. I don't know if it's a lion or a tiger or what it is. I know it's not a bear because he's upstairs running the sound. We love you, bear. Uh, the, the altar to Baal. Uh, the altar to creation. The altar to self. Our culture worships self. They worship that which is created. Animals, trees, whales, crickets. They worship anything and everything. Listen, without worshiping the true God, you've got to fall into something. And that's what they do. It's empty. It's void. It's, it's evil. Uh, and the enemy tricks us into believing that that's the true worship. It's really not. So I'll put them up here. I just want you to know at the beginning of the service, two altars cannot take up one space. Now I need somebody to help me preach. Either you serve God and him only and destroy Baal, or you worship Baal and destroy the, the altar of the God. It doesn't happen at the same time. Everybody here understand? So let's get right down to it. But I have, I got to tell you right now, I got 60 slides and 15 minutes. That means for every second, I got to show a slide. So we got to get with the program. The Waymaker is our new series. We finally got to chapter 6. So the first lesson, we, uh, we, we know Judges 8 is our text for the whole series. Gideon came to the Jordan with 300 men who were exhausted, but they were still in pursuit. And I titled this message, Tired, But We're Still Moving Forward. In the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of a crisis, in the middle of your struggle and your uh, trials and struggles and problems and issues, we got to keep on going, right? And we believe God's going to be with us. We just heard the Lord say, he will be with us, amen? And so uh, we started lesson one in chapter two, talked about the progressive uh, backslidden condition you know you don't backslide overnight you just kind of progressively go down and uh, satan's all about it in lesson two we talked about killing the fat man right with ehud last week killing the fat man this week is titled calling the right man and gideon we finally get to six trying to get to chapter six so let's see what we got here uh we're going to build an altar today to the one true god is anybody ready all right, if you're taking notes, you got to write fast, Max. you got to write fast. I'm not kidding you. If I go too fast, you let me know or just record it or call me later. Judges 6, the children of Israel. Look, look at the opening verse. The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. Okay? God allowed it. Because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made for themselves dens Caves and strongholds, which are in the mountains, they were hiding. It was so it was whenever Israel had sown, all right, their harvest, their crop, Midianites would come up. Also, Amalekites, they had help. Remember, we talked about them, people of the flesh, last week. And the people of the east would come up against them, too. They had some help. Then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel. Neither sheep, nor ox, nor donkey. They took everything, plundered them, emptied their pockets. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents, coming in as numerous as locusts. Both they and their camels were uh, without number. I mean, that's a lot. And they would enter the land to destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Don't we always get that? And it came to pass. Somebody say, it came to pass. Whatever the Lord put on him is going to come to an end because he always, how many know God is always the victor? God's people will come through. This is a lesson. Here we go again. It came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel who said to them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage. Is anybody thankful for that? And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, out of the hand of all who oppressed you, and drove them out before you, and I gave you their land. Also, I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods, uh, little gods of the Amorites, the Moabites, the Amalekites, Midianites, in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. 
That's the word of the Lord from the prophet. No name for this prophet. Now the angel of the Lord came, sat under the terebinth tree, which is an oak tree, which was in Orpha. And, um, and so I got you, you got to know, we are, we are, we are the oak tree, okay? So the angel of the Lord is sitting down with us today. I put that in there. That's just me. And he belonged to, which belonged to Joash, uh, the Eberzite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the wine press in order to hide it from the Midianites. That's the picture. I hope you're seeing it today. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. The people did, listen, that's all I'm going to read today. The people did evil in the sight of the Lord. This is, this is it. Remember last week I put that picture up. So judgment came. The people, well, the people sinned, right, against God. Judgment comes. They cry out for help, and God rescues them. Here we are again. Here we are again. The people fall into sin. Judgment comes seven years by the hand of the Midianites. They cry out for God, and God is sending a, a prophet uh, to help them. So it's a high price for such low living. How I many know that's a high price to pay? Sin will make you pay more than you want to pay. You might think it's wonderful and pleasurable for a season, but how I many know the end thereof is devastating? It will empty your pockets. It will break down your family. It will destroy everything God gave you. It will be wasted at the hand of the enemy. It's a high price. The word Midian means strife now. Do you remember Amalekites, the people of the flesh that meant flesh? Now this is strife. Seven years of trouble, Midian, they lost their will to fight. Began hiding in caves and in mountains. It's a serious story. It's a narrative that I think we really need to get into because Israel was invaded by these Midianites. They were people who descended from Abraham and Keturah, not Sarah. Remember, Sarah died. He married Keturah uh, after Sarah died and uh, had several children with her. I mean, when God does a miracle, he does it all the way. Well, you all catch that later. After Isaac, (laughs) he kept on having children after even Sarah died. And some scholars say she was a Canaanite woman, son of Ham, grandson of Noah, a Canaanite. Whatever they were, the son named was Midian, from which we get the Midianites. And the Israelites were kin to the situation, but not God's people. Much like last week. Is anybody taking notes of understanding any of this? The very thing that seems to be connected to you may not even be from God. Watch the things you attach yourself to. It's easy to fall prey to things God told you not to be involved in. So the Midianites show up in the Bible from time to time. Moses married a Midianite named Zipporah, Exodus 2. In Numbers, the Midianites were counseled by Balaam to seduce Israel's men and turn their hearts toward idols. And it worked. Remember that? 24,000 Israelites died as a result. Numbers 25. Okay? God said, do not go into other nations of the world and get other people. How many know you're, you're, you're taking a chance but flirting with disaster? Stay within your boundaries. The word median means strife, and these people are a clear picture of conflict between the world and the word. I mean, no, we got to stick with the word of God, not the world. The world is counterfeit. I said the world is counterfeit. Everything God has, Satan wants to duplicate and make it look like. Even Jesus being the, the, uh, from the tribe of Judah, the lion. I mean, no, he is acting like a lion, right? He's going about like a lion, roaring, intimidating, threatening, acting, right? But he's just an actor. And so this corrupt world desires to draw God's people away. And remember, the Midianites had no power that God didn't allow them. So this is important. But the situation was they left uh, Israel. Uh, you know, their sin got them in this trouble. Okay? So, so this is the progressive of a backslidden condition. The progression of a backslidden condition. So sin leads to weakness. Weakness leads to your, your enemy attacking you and taking advantage of you, right? And, uh, and your weakness. And the results of the attacks, well, they, they ran and hide. They ran. Uh, they, got, they lost their will to fight. They gave up. And, you know, I'm talking to a lot of Christians these days during the pandemic, and they're losing their will to fight. 
They're losing their desire to go to church. They're losing their confidence in the word of God. They're losing their faith. They're losing their hope. I mean, no, we got to get it back. And the best place to get it back is at the altar of our God, not at the altar of the world. And so it's important that we understand the results of the attacks over and over again. They were beating them down, wearing them out. That's what Daniel said in chapter 7, that Satan's job was to wear out the saints of God. Always just attacking, attacking, and Israel lost their will to fight. And for seven years, they ran in hidden caves, and they couldn't live a normal life. Sound familiar? No more, more normalcy. Midian exploited them financially. When they devoured their land, their produce, their livestock, and Israel would plant, and at harvest time, they'd raid them. Verse 5, they swarm in like locusts and laid waste to the land. And now they're devastated and they're starving to hide out in these caves to protect whatever they have left. Verses 7 through 10, Israel cries out to the Lord after seven years. In the past when they cried out, God raised up a judge, right? Raised up all these judges, Othniel, Ehud, Shamgar, Deborah, Barak. This time he sends a word. He sends a prophet with a word. How many know God will speak if you will listen? He sends a word. He sends a word to tell them that God has been good to you. I brought you out of Egypt. I gave you the land. I gave you. I helped you conquer all the enemies against you, and I gave you their land. I gave it to you, right? And He's reminding them instead of a savior, He sends a sermon. I hope this sermon helps today. Come on, somebody. And that God brought them out before. Do not worship or fear other gods or idols, but they did not obey the voice of God. And this no-name prophet is there to move Israel from regret to repentance. How many know there's a difference? Regret is all about us. Sometimes we feel sorry for what we did. And we, you know, we, we, we just, we just kind of regret it. But how many know repentance is different than feeling sorry? Repentance says, I'm going to see God change my life. All Israel wanted was to return to their comfort, to return to their prosperity. They were sorry, but it was their feelings over their losses. It wasn't a conviction. Israel wanted to have their way and be blessed again. And how gracious is our God? No matter how much they failed God, he's always there to forgive us. Is anybody thankful for the grace of Almighty God? First John 1, 9, if we, if we confess our sins, God is always there. If we'll make an altar, how I many know oh, God will forgive us? If we will repent with genuine sorrow and weep before the Lord and say, I don't, I'll never do it again. How many believe God will help us? And so that's where we are. He sends a message, but he also finds a man. Now, here's another chance for God seems to, uh, at first glance, Looks like another bad choice, Gideon. And so where we, we, we see God choosing people, he chose Moses uh, at 80 years old, and he stuttered. He chose Joseph, who was 16. He dreamed a lot. He chose David at 16. He had his own share of problems. Paul was a murderer. Jeremiah smashed pots and wore an uh, ox yoke. And how about Ezekiel? He lays on his side for a year and shaves his head. And that's not enough, you got John the Baptist who wears camel skin and eats locusts and wild honey. At first glance, it doesn't look like God picks the best. Look at Jesus. He picks 12 disciples, and none of them would have been CEO of anything. Seems like a bunch of losers, but how I many you know God has a plan? I said, God's not always looking for the capable. He's looking for the available. God's not looking always at the tallest and the best. He's looking for somebody who's flexible, who's humble enough to draw their knee to an altar and say, God, if you'll use me, I can, I'm not much, but I'll do whatever you ask me to do. God is not always looking for the capable. So where is this Gideon? The Midianites don't know where he is. He's hiding in caves. Right now he's hiding in the wine press. And um, it's more like a wine press, uh, you know, W-H-I-N-E, right? So God is good to them. God finds a man to help them in a wine press. Not a typo, people. It's not a typo. Gideon is hiding. And uh, the angel of the Lord visit, visits him at Oak Grove, right? And, uh, and he starts whining. <laughs> angel of the Lord says, hey, you mighty man of valor. Gideon says, uh, me? 
He looks around. He must be talking to somebody else. Same thing Moses did, right? And so uh, he's, he's threshing wheat in a wine press. What's wrong with this picture? Let me just help you out here. The angel of the Lord appeared to the farmer named Gideon, called him a mighty man of valor, right? So this is a wine press, right? The lady's bringing the grapes. The guys are smashing them, and then the juice goes into the vat right there. That's a wine press. It's built up where you can kind of get in there and maybe press uh, thresh wheat. This is a threshing floor. It's usually up on the top of the hill. It's a a circular kind of cement or something where the ox could go around and around and and beat, you know, step on the wheat and and separate the wheat from the chaff. And up on the hill, the air, open air, the wind would blow the chaff and the wheat would be left. But not, not Gideon, no. He's so scared of the Midianites, instead of being out in the open air, he's hiding up in the wine press, whining to God. He's hiding in there. By hand, he's threshing wheat with a broom, and he's sweeping it up, and he's trying to do his best. And, and it's, you know, it's not a lot of wheat. It's not like the whole harvest, right? Because it's just a little bit, enough for him to his family to eat and survive. Gideon and his family are in survival mode. In fact, all of Israel is in survival mode. Can I tell you, when you flirt with disaster and worship other idols, I mean, you will lose everything and be crying out to God. The Midianites were so... Uh, on their case, like locusts, and here he is threatening wheat, happens anywhere but a wine press, right? He's scared and he's hiding. He has no weapons. He has no armor on. He looked like a coward, not a warrior. I love the story of John uh, George Scott. Um, he's a one-legged school teacher from Scotland. He came to Hudson Taylor, who was the, who was the missionary to the China Inland Mission. Uh, one day he came to Hudson Taylor to offer himself to serve in China. One-legged, one-legged man. And Hudson Taylor said, hey, with one leg, why are you thinking of going to China? George Scott said, I don't see anybody with two legs going. I mean, oh, God can use a man with one leg who's willing, who had a big heart, but he can't use a two-legged man with no heart at all. So God used George Scott, sent him to China, accepted a one-legged man. Remember last week I told you I'd rather pluck my eye out, cut off my hand, have one foot, and hobble around in the glory of God than to have all of my faculties and still not honor the Lord. So the angel of the Lord appeared to him in verse 13. Gideon is his name. It means he who cuts down. We're going to see this in a little bit. He's a farmer who hid some wheat, enough for his family. He's threshing it behind the wine press, uh, top of the hill. He's doing this uh, by hand, meaning there were uh, under severe hard times. Open air, right, was not the way to go. And so oxen are gone, nothing left. This is all he's got. What about today? There's a lot of churches and leaders hiding in wine presses, whining to God about what they don't have, whining and crying out to God. And Gideon's parents have fallen into Baal worship. Gideon's father set up an altar and began to worship Baal and an Asherah pole. You don't see the pole back here? That's the only pole I can find. Asherah pole. Asherah pole. Altar to Baal. Okay? Can I tell you, this pole has no significance, but that cross has all the significance you need. I wish somebody helped me preach. When you got a comparison, I mean, oh, that's the way to go. This right here is nothing. That right there is everything. And our world's gotten confused. They thought that the world could meet their needs. And Gideon's father said that the world can meet my needs because God has forsaken me. All the while, God was trying to get his attention to help him. And he's, and he's going after idols, living in fear. Many today suffering with economic uncertainty, social injustice, craziness, hatred, just like them, weak and afraid. The Lord comes with words of inspiration and hope. The angel is called the Lord. I don't know if you know that, but he's called the Lord. This is a theophany or a Christophany, if you don't know. That is a manifestation of God in the Old Testament or Christ in the Old Testament. So this angel has a big L, the angel of the Lord. Could very much well be the Lord Christ himself in the Old Testament. Are y'all with me? And so here's, here he is. He comes with, with a word. 
It says, the Lord is with thee. This is, this is something because, uh, because here's a man who's afraid. He's scared. Things are not all like they, they ought to be. His fathers have even forsook the Lord. And here he, an angel visits him. How many know it's okay to have a visitation from the Lord? How many like to have a visitation from the Lord? Can I tell you what America needs? A divine visitation from the Lord. You know what Oak Grove desires? A divine visitation from the Lord himself. And when he comes, he always has something good to say. And he said, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. So many times in the Old Testament, we had Abraham had a theophany with the fiery pots and the smoke. Remember that when he made a covenant in chapter 15, chapter 12, 15. And then Hagar and Jacob and Moses and Joshua. Remember Moses at the burning bush? That's a theophany. God is speaking from a bush that's not being consumed. That's a theophany. Just so you get the picture. And by the way, the Lord is with you literally means his power is on you. Is any Pentecostal people in here? His power is on you, Gideon. Now, Gideon is kind of confused. You know, he's hiding in a wine press. He's lost everything. His family's forsaken God. And an angel shows up and says, you're the man. Oh, mighty man of our, God's power is on you. See, Gideon couldn't see the potential God saw in him. God saw Gideon, a mighty man of valor, and Gideon sees, Gideon sees a little scared man hiding in a wine press. But God sees what Gideon was going to be, not what he was presently. There's some of you here today, you don't feel like you're honoring God. You don't feel like you're up to par. But how many know God can call anyone he wants to? And he can prepare you to be something he wants you to be. You need to stop believing what other people say about you and start believing what God's word says about you. You are the mighty people of God. You are the spirit-filled people of God. Is anybody hearing me today? Stop believing what everybody else says about you and own up to what God says you are. You are the priest, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Believe me, you're very peculiar people. The righteousness of God called out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's who we are. Can somebody say amen? And so when God looks at you, what does he see? He sees what you don't. He sees the potential. Earlier I said God doesn't always seemingly pick the right people. But how many know he saw what Peter could be, not who Peter was at the moment. He saw and he sees what you have in your potential. You, you see mistakes and failures, but God sees more than that. When you look at yourself, you, you see Jesse saw a little scrawny kid with red hair and freckles. But how many know God saw a mighty king? Are y'all hearing me? So when God sees Gideon, his family sees just a, the, the weakest in the clan, the lowest in the family, the black sheep, if you will. But God saw a warrior. Amen. Well, this will preach if you wanted to hear it. So, man looks on the outward, but God sees your heart. And after Gideon doubts and asks whines and asks God why, and if you're, if you know, if if I'm a mighty man of valor and there's power on me, then why are we in the shape we're in? For seven years, the Midianites have devoured us. If God was with us, how many know the devil's always using the same line? He's always lying. God put them there. The Midianites didn't. God did. The only power the enemy has is the power God gave him to do it with. Nobody has authority over your life but God. Amen? So Gideon offers a sacrifice to this angel. Okay, verse 18. We didn't go that far, but let me just go ahead and get to verse 18 of chapter 6. Are you there? Shout amen. So do not depart from here, Gideon said. I pray until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. And he said, I will wait until you come back. Isn't that something? He's talking to possibly Christ himself, right? Lord is so patient. He'll wait. If God knows you have a giving heart, how many know he'll wait for you to bring your offering? So Gideon, he goes and he prepares an offering. The best thing you can do is bring your pitiful self and hand it over to the Lord at an altar. How many say amen to that? I don't care what you think about you. I don't, care, I don't care what other people think about you. The best thing you'll ever do, the best decision I ever made as an 18-year-old young boy was when I went to an altar at the church when the altar meant something. 
I went to an old-fashioned altar, and I kneeled down, and I said, Jesus, come into my heart. I'm no good, but you're all good. And God saved me and put me on a path. I cannot believe what the Lord has done in my life. All because I was willing to make an altar. How many know altars are powerful? Man, God saw what I could be. He saw the potential. He made a miracle out of me. The angel of the Lord came and and Gideon made. Not only, listen, that was quite the sacrifice, right? Man, what a a response. He he, he gets that sacrifice. It's... um, it's it's let's just look at it okay his name means he who cuts down remember that and the first thing he does he he says lord you've forsaken us you know here we are why is all this happening and the angel said uh, god said go in the strength you have left for i am sending you on this mission sunday bgmc sunday how many know the lord is sending every one of us you say pastor i don't have a lot of strength left i feel like gideon i'm afraid i'm the least I'm the last. I just don't have what it is. I'm tired. I'm fatigued. God says, you know what? You go with whatever strength you have left. I'm sending you. And I know we make much out of Gideon fleecing the Lord, but before you ask God for anything, Gideon says, stay here. I want to give you an offering. How many know it would be awesome if we start bringing something to God before we ask God for something? I mean, in America, we only approach God. We only go to an altar when we open it up. When we have a need, we run to an altar. We don't have a need. We never set foot in an altar. I mean, that has got to change. God's people need to know how valuable the altar is. It's not just for you to get your needs met. It's for us to offer the Lord an offering, a sacrifice of praise. Amen? And so good, Gideon was, was there. He had two altars. He had to deal with, he had to deal with two altars. And so I want you to see this. 45 pounds of grain took forever to thresh that in a small wine press by hand. And he brought meat too. 45 pounds, 22 liters of grain. All right, that's a lot. He's hiding it from the enemy. But when he realizes it's the Lord, he says, you can have everything I've got. He gives it all to Jesus. He gives it all to Jesus. This is serious. And the Lord consumes the sacrifice, and Gideon sees that it's really God himself visiting right there. It's you, Lord. Remember what Peter said when the Lord came to the water, and Peter said, it is you. Remember that? Threw off his cloak and dove in the water. That's Gideon right here. It is you. How I many know oh, you need to realize that a real, there is a real visitation from a real God? There is also a counterfeit. For every real, there's a counterfeit. And for every counterfeit, how many know there's a real? What the church needs to rediscover is what's real? Who am I making an altar to? You know, some people are worshiping church. Some people are worshiping faith. We need to worship God and God alone. Let me stop and just say here, there's application to this. And I want to get right to it because it's all the time we've got. He thought he was going to die because he saw the Lord face to face. You remember that? God said, you shall not see me and live. Right? Remember Moses? I'd like to see you face to face. He said, you can't see me. I'll let you see my, my hind parts. Remember that? Here, the thought was, if I saw, now I've seen God, I'm going to die. So now Gideon's freaking out. I mean, no, he's, uh, he's a little bit emotional, a little roller coaster here, Gideon. Can I tell you, your emotions could take over your faith if you're not careful. So he, um, so he realizes, now I'm going to die, all this, and now I die. I saw God, now I can die. God calms him down. Has God ever had to calm you down? Listen, let me ask you, has God ever had to calm you down? Only one or two of you. Well, be at peace, he said. Do not fear. It's the same thing he said all along, but they didn't hear. So he builds an altar to God and calls it, the Lord is peace. The Lord is peace. Remember when the Lord said, peace be still? He is peace. The Lord is peace, right? He is shalom. He is complete, total well-being. He is everything you need. He is Jehovah Shalom, God our peace. He is peace in the middle of the Midianite uh, and their plundering of the Israel. He is peace in the middle of the wine press when you're hiding. He is peace in the storm. He is our peace. And he is able. He is able to bring us out, bring us through, and use us. So Gideon builds an altar to the Lord there and called the place 
The Lord is peace. And to this day, that altar stands. That's what an altar looked like, by the way. The Lord is peace. Judges 6.24. And the horns of the altar, those um, four different points at the top, or where they tied the sacrifice to the altar. That's the horns of the altar. Remember what Paul said in Romans 12, 1 and 2? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God. It's at the altar. It's at the altar. It's, it's typology. It's showing you. The altar is meant. It's not about furniture. It's about finding yourself in the presence of the Lord. Offering to God what you need. If we're ever going to get back to where God wants us to be, we need to build an altar. And that night, I'm going to shut this up because I'm going to, I'm going to take it from my PowerPoint. Because God put this on my heart. I put it all on PowerPoint for you to see it. If you didn't write it quick enough, I'll get it to you later. But this is what the Lord has put on my heart. That night, after he builds an altar, you know, he thanks the Lord. That night, uh, at the 25 says, that night God speaks again. I mean, oh, God speaks often if you'll listen. Seems like it's over, you know. The Lord is peace, the angel of the Lord has said. And, and then that night God speaks again. Tear down your father's altar to Baal. Tear it down. Now listen, if, if dealing with the Midianites is one thing, how I many know oh, dealing with your family is quite another? I don't even know the Midianites, but I know my daddy. I know my mama, brothers and sisters. <laughs> and listen, you'll never be more influential than when you start dealing with your personal family. Man, when I got saved, they, didn't, they weren't sure what I got involved in. My family didn't know what I got involved in. But I remember my dad said something. Smartest thing my dad ever said. I told him I was going to that church. You know, that Holy Roller Church, that Assembly of God Church. He had no idea who we were. For, I mean, to his knowledge, we were hanging from the chandeliers. Them Pentecostals, you know, they hang their they hang their brains in the foyer and they go in and have an ecstatic time. They don't know what they're doing. They're just running all over the place. But I told him I was going to the Assembly of God Church. My daddy said, "Well, you know what, son? I'd rather see you going there on the weekend than where you've been going lately." I mean, oh, that's a smart daddy right there. Could somebody give God praise for a daddy who has enough sense not to knock his son out from the blessing of the Lord? We're attached to our parents. We're attached to our family. And I tell you, Gideon, Gideon had a challenge here. Go tear down your father's uh, altars. Woo! Well, he said two things that Gideon did. <laughs> First of all, he did it at night. Oh, mighty man of valor. <laughs> He did it at night, and that's, that's just Gideon. Second thing he did, he took 10 men with him. 10 men, that's almost as much as he had to fight Midian. And he went and he destroyed the, he destroyed the altars of Baal. You can't have two altars take up one space. You got to kill one to set up the other. I said, you can't serve God and Baal. Can't do it. So he goes and he destroys the altar. You see him there. Cuts down the astropo. I already threw it down. But there it is in cartoon fashion. He got their flaming sword. There's Baal sitting there on the ground. And the guys with an axe cutting down the astropo. To the gods of fertility. Yeah. They put all their confidence in an uh, idol. Set up daily sacrifice to Baal. They, and, and it had to come down. And the next day, the next day they found out anyway. How many know somebody's going to find out? You might as well get out of hiding. Somebody's going to find out. When you go to work, somebody ought to know you're saved. You ought not be working at the same place for, for 20 years and they don't even know you're saved. How I many know that's a travesty? They ought to, somebody ought to know you're born again. Somebody ought to know you're worshiping God and not Baal. Somebody needs to tell. And so... They found out anyway. Baal's altar is down, smoldering, broken, burned up. And Gideon builds an altar to God. Gideon, he took one of his father's uh, bulls and offered. He took, <laughs> how many know God's ready for us to repent of our sin? God's ready for us to tear down idols in our life. You say, Pastor, I don't have any idols. I'm not worshiping Baal. Listen, it may not be that outright blatant sin it may be more like hebrews 
chapter 12 that says there is a, there's this weight of sin that so easily besets us. It starts in the small things. How I many you know it's the small things that start in our life? And so he makes an altar. Here's the application for us today since it's only 11.08. I thought 60, 60 slides, I'd be here till 2 o'clock. But I'm about ready. Are y'all about ready to be delivered? This is my heart. The altar must remain in our churches. The altar is a sacred place. It's a personal place where we encounter God. When I got saved, I made an altar every Sunday. And I mean every Sunday. The whole while I was saved. My home church, they thought I must have been something else. I wouldn't listen after I made the first altar, the second altar wasn't the same as the first altar. You don't have just an altar just to get saved. How I many know you have to have an altar to stay saved? And so many people came when they were a child and gave their hearts to Jesus, never been to an altar since. And they got a lot of idols stacked up because they didn't come and get cleansing. How I many know the altar is a good place for healing? The altar is a good place for cleansing. The altar is a good place to get divine wisdom from the Lord. And the altar is a good place for direction. There's a good time to be intimate with the Lord. The altar is a good place to go and just worship. Just worship the Lord. So we have, we have just um, dumbed down the altar. In many cases, our churches have gotten rid of the altar. I'm not talking about furniture. I'm talking about a place for people to encounter God. Many of our churches have gotten rid of the altar. That grieves my heart. It grieves my heart for the people in that church. They come in sick. They come in grieving. They come in with pain and have no place to go. And those with multiple services, praise God, the church is growing. They got multiple services. But because they had multiple services, they didn't make an alternative. All they did was get them in, preach, and let them go. They never gave them a space to preach, to be with, the, to respond to God. Do you understand? So it's one thing to take out this kind of uh, structure, but you got to create another structure. you got to find a place for people to meet with God. Got to have an altar. I said, you got to have an altar. I said, you got to have an altar. And many churches removed them, never replaced it with an alternative place to meet with God. That's what happened. We don't mean a piece of furniture, but a place for people to respond to God. It's a place of decision and worship and sacrifice, and repentance, and change, and confession, and celebration, and revelation, and passion. In fact, everything you need, you can find at the altar of God. Yes, you have the sin offering, but there's also a thank offering, a thanksgiving to God. There's all kinds of offerings to the Lord. There's the first fruit you can offer to God. There's, there's a lot of reasons to come into the presence of the Lord. Not just to get rid of your sin. We made Christianity just a one thing. You were lost and now you're saved, and that's it. And once you're saved, that's it. I mean, no, it's way more than that. The altar is way more than that. It's a place for us to meet with God. It's a place where Jesus meets needs. Man, if you're sick today, we're going to open the altar. In just a little bit, we're going to call for the elders of the church. They're going to pray for you, lay hands on you. I mean, no, that still works. James chapter 5, verse 15. If anybody's sick among you, bring them down to the altar. I went. Say, Pastor, you were very vulnerable and gullible. Maybe so, but I'm still standing. And a lot of friends I know were not even serving the Lord. Divorced, broke up, messed up, drugged up, drunked up. How many know the altar can save your life? Understand we all create altars in life. You either create an altar to God or you create an altar to Baal. I said, you either tear down the altar bell, tear it down, rip it up, or, or set up an altar to God, or, or go ahead and just worship Baal. If you're going to be lost, be lost. But quit, but quit this idea that I can be a Christian on Sunday and live like the devil on Monday through Saturday. That's just not going to get it. The world has altars. Build their altar to money. Fame, fortune, pride, apathy, relativism. It's whatever you want, Pastor. Whatever you want these days. We have so many options. No, you don't. You have one option. Get in the presence of the Lord. Call on the Lord your God. 
And when the people of God finally got enough, they went to God. But they had to tear down the altar of Baal. So just like Gideon built his altar to God, tore down the altar of Baal, we too have the same opportunity to show a desperate generation how to find an encounter with God. These little kids that came up tonight, today, they need, the kids that are coming tonight on this platform to show out and showcase their ministry, singing for the Lord, preaching for the Lord, doing drama for the Lord, whatever they're doing for the Lord, you need to come tonight. I said, you need to come tonight and support the next generation. It's more important that you be here than stay home and make your own idols. The word uh, word altar is appearing 384 times in the Bible, 361 times in the old, 23 in the new. And it's to honor God, receive wisdom, divine intervention, make sacrifices, establish covenants, worship, and transformation. Transformation happens at an altar. Remember Jacob, surplanter, liar, deceiver? He met with God. I mean, no, God wrestled. He wrestled with God at the altar. Doesn't mean you're perfect. Or imperfect. Just means you need God. And he wrestled with God until God put his hip out of joint. And the rest of his life, he limped with, you know, like that. But he had a relationship with God. I said, I'd rather go out throughout life with a limp and a relationship with God than to walk normal and worship idols. That's just what I'm trying to say. A lot of people got all their health and their spirit is dying. Noah, Abraham, Moses, Isaac, Jacob, Elijah, all of these people. They all made an altar to God. And in the future, Revelation speaks of an altar that we have, that the prayers of the saints are going up to the altar of God. How many know there's an altar of God? Even in heaven, there's an altar of God where the saints, the prayers of the saints are reserved to go up. The prayers of the saints are going up in the nostrils of God every day, like sweet-smelling incense to our God. God loves it when we make an altar. Pastor, why do I have to come down? You don't have to, my friends. You get to. You get to. Now you, just so you know, this is not the only altar you should have in your life. You should have a home altar, a family altar, a personal altar. You should have a time to meet with God every day. But if you're getting away from God, you should make the first altar. And I think building a 21st century altar is essential to Pentecostal spirituality. It's important. If we're going to remain Pentecostals, listen, I believe not only have we taken out the altar, the next thing, a place to meet with God, the next thing, there's nobody getting baptized in the Holy Spirit, nobody getting saved, nobody getting baptized in water. All the stats are going down because the people are not making an altar. They're coming in and they're going out. Am I the only one? Can anybody else see it? So we are the people of God, people of the Spirit. Being powered by the Spirit, Acts 1.8. Spirit-filled, Acts, uh, Ephesians 5.18. We're Spirit-led. We're spiritual people. And the fire must keep being burnt on the altar. The priest of God in the Old Testament tabernacle, they had a job to keep the fire burned, trim the wicks, keep oil in the lamp, keep the fire on the altar day and night. Don't ever let it go out. Don't ever let it go out. Not in your own life, not in the temple. Not in the community. we got to keep the fire burning. I said, come on, church. We have to keep the Pentecostal fires burning. Because without the Pentecostal fire, there is no mission. Mary, there's no missions without Pentecost. Pentecost is harvest. There's no missionaries, no call. If people, you know where they get called at? At the altar. I got called at the altar. I didn't walk up to the front that night, but a a missionary from Africa was preaching. Melissa and I were praying. I mean, God will always send a preacher. He will always send a word. (laughs) And he always send a man or a woman, somebody to help you get where you need to go. But, But that night, we were Sunday night. I mean, glad we have Sunday night. If Sunday night has a purpose, if you get rid of Sunday night, you better have an alternative place. If you get rid of the altar, you better have an alternative place. Don't take something out you don't replace it with. And that's what happened, I believe. We've changed. We've renewed and removed and changed, but we never kept the basics. We never kept the altar in its rightful place. And so even though we didn't walk to the front of the church that night, we stood up. An altar is a place for recognition where you stand up and realize you're in the presence of the Lord. And the Lord has commanded something. 
if the man of God or woman of God stands here and, and says you should be responding to the Lord, you should respond to the Lord. If the Lord speaks to you, you should respond. Right? As you stare at me, cricket, cricket. It represents an authentic response. And it requires self-denial. You have to kill your flesh. I said, you have to die to yourself to live for God. You have to get rid of anything in your life that would hinder you from the relationship with God. That's all there is to it, as simple as that. And it motivates us to leave a spiritual legacy for our kids, one they will never forget. What do these stones mean, Pastor? Remember last week when I dedicated Ellie? We are people of the cross. I will preach on the cross till Jesus comes. Old Grove, you can get tired of it, but how many know that's the only message I know? Paul said, we preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. And without that, you're still in your sins. We have nothing we can do for you. You can counsel a sinner who's lost to you blue in the face. Until they come to Christ, they will have no new thinking. They will have no new thinking. You have to get rid of old thinking to get new thinking. And how many know that's transformative? God can do that at the cross. I said, it's at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light. And the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight. And now I'm happy all the day. How about the empty tomb? Maybe I'll come back and preach to you for Easter. How many know that is necessity? We must preach a resurrected Jesus. He's not dead, folks. He's still alive. And we're people of the upper room. I'm going to keep preaching about the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I'm going to keep asking you if you want to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I'm going to keep asking people to pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because there is no calling to go and be motivated to be empowered to go. Why would you go if you don't have no power? I wouldn't go if I didn't have any power. So God had it right. Go and pray in the upper room. Then I will do you with power and then you can go. So that's, that's those stones that we have to tell our, our children. And many people in churches in our culture are hiding in a wine press when we need to become mighty warriors. In the end, two altars cannot take up the same space. If anybody would like to volunteer to vacuum up all of the styrofoam on the platform today, I really appreciate it. But you have to tear down the idols. You can't bow. And the pressure the world and our culture is putting on us, and not only on us as adults, they're putting it on our children. They're pressing on our children, trying to reprogram them to think that the, ch- that the church and the preaching of the cross and the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the, and the resurrection, all that's old, outdated, irrelevant. I mean, oh, the devil is a liar. The same thing that helped me and you through this journey is the same thing that's going to help the next generation. And we got to do it. One of them got to come down. The fire must be kept burning on the altar continuously. It must never, ever go out. I preach my heart. I'm done. It's 1120. I'm blown away, actually. I'm blown away. But I certainly didn't want to bore you today. Chrissy, if you and your team want to come back to the um, worship, we're, we're going to make an altar. We're going to keep at Oak Grove. I don't know what the rest of the world's going to do. But I'm a steward of the house here. At Oak Grove, we're going to keep an altar. So when little Hudson and little Ellie and our grandkids grow up, they'll know, Daddy, what, are the, what, are this, what is this long thing down here? Daddy, what is all that? Who's the funny-looking yellow man in the church, Daddy? I mean, no, they're going to ask. They're going to ask, why are you getting buckets and filling them up? What's going on, Dad? We can tell them there's a whole world that bowed their knee to Baal. They need God. They need God. Would you stand with me today? He's the way maker. He's the blind man healer. He's the leper cleansing man from Galilee. Hallelujah. And maybe you're here today and you're away from God. Maybe you're away from God. Maybe you've tried to straddle the fence. I love God. I want to serve this altar. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. And then, and then drawn away, drawn away by the idols of the world. One's got to go. 
personally, you can come and tear down some idols. I don't need to know your business. I'll be thankful that you're taking care of business with God. And the altar is the best place I know to do that. If you're at home, listen, if you're at home, you can make an altar right there in your living room, right there in your bedroom. I'll never forget my mother-in-law received the baptism of the Holy Ghost right there at her bedside. She kneeled down watching 700 Club, and she was so hungry for the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. And Rosie got down by her bed and began to speak in an unknown tongue as the Spirit of the Lord gave her the utterance. How many know God can meet you right where you are, even in a wine press? So if you want to make a, a place down here where you can meet with God, you can wine for a little bit, but then you should probably bring an offering. Honor, honor the Lord with an offering. Not, not like you did already, but your heart. God wants to use each and every one of you. This is only a little small portion of chapter 6. We'll have to finish the rest next week. But I felt like the altar was a major thing on my heart that I think we need to press and preach and pursue. Tired? Yes, we are. Are we going to give up? Absolutely not. Let's remind God's people it's at the altar. You come. These altars are open. You meet with God. You can worship. If you need divine wisdom, you can ask God. He will impart wisdom to you. If you need healing, our uh, our prayer partners are going to come. Stand in front of you with oil. You need prayer for healing. If you have sin in your life that you need a forgiveness for, he is faithful and just to forgive you. Whatever you need, God is here. We got five minutes in the presence of the Lord. Come on, let's give it to God. Let's worship the Lord. Lord, we make this altar in your honor and in your name. We cut down the idols and the poles. All of the stuff that's in our life that's not pleasing to you, we cut it out. And we make our altar to you, the only wise God. Honor families, Lord, as they make an altar together. Honor individuals as they make an altar. Honor the sick. They come. And we pray. We honor you today, God. Come on. If maybe you just want to worship, lift your hand to the Lord. Just worship the Lord right where you are. Be careful. Come on.